I hope everybody had a good weekend. I want to start today by opening a conversation with those in my audience to see where you are on what I'm seeing as a trend among some of the people who write to criticize me from the left. Now, as you all, not, I'm sure, know by now, 90% of the criticism I receive is from the right. Why? Well, because this is a left wing show. This is a progressive show. I am a progressive social democrat in the mold of Northern Europe and the Swedish Democratic uh, Social Democratic Party, uh, etc. That's why most of the criticism I get is from the right. But there's something particular about the criticism I'm receiving from the left, especially recently, that I want to tell you about to see where the core of my audience is on this issue. And what I'm talking about is the following. There's a notion that I'm seeing increasingly prevalent in the criticism I get from the left. That is, I am not left enough. And implicit in that is that the goal, the ideal would be to to be as left as humanly possible. In other words, the litmus test or the standard is that the further left you are, the more virtuous you are, the more deserving of support you are, the more legitimate you are in the realm of politics and social justice. And the context, of course, is people writing to me and saying, David, you're not really on the left because you're not as left as this person or that person or whatever the case may be. You're just a lib or a neoliberal or whatever. So here's my view on this. And and the reason I'm laying this out is I want to see where my core audience is. I know that there are people who invade the YouTube comments or our subreddit or whatever. They're not really part of my core audience. They're not paid members. They're not regular viewers. They don't subscribe to the podcast. They kind of do the drive by commenting who say, David, you're not left enough. But I want to see where the core of my audience is on this issue. So here's my view. You can certainly find people to my left. And of course, most people are to my right, but you can certainly find people to my left. But the idea that is rooted in a legitimate desire for deep social change or whatever. Right. It, it, it's fine that the motivation for these people to my left may be a positive thing. The idea that the goal would be for me to be as left as possible, I believe, is flawed. And I'll tell you why. There's a reality of governing effectively, achieving social progress, actually getting things done where we need to acknowledge that indefinitely pushing the envelope left, 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 left indefinitely isn't actually going to achieve the change that we want. Now, if you want to come to me and say, David, the right has moved the Overton window so far to the right that we need to be moving the Overton window equally far to the left, maybe there is a role for that in media. That's not my role. My role is to actually lay out what I think is a politics that makes sense. And for me, that is northern European style social democracy. There's stuff to the left of that. For example, if the ultimate goal were just to be as far left as possible, I could find myself advocating for abolishing all private property. Why should anybody get to own anything themselves? Abolish private property. And of course, we would be ignoring the realities not only of law, 
but of human nature, of economic incentives. Or, for example, we could say we need to go even further left. It's not a quality of opportunity that we should seek. It's a quality of outcome. Everybody should have the exact same stuff and outcome and income, just total parity. Right. That, OK, that's not my view. I think that uh, it ignores a whole bunch of realities about the way that the world works. Or you could go further. David, you shouldn't just want to take health care and education and a couple of other industries out of the market. We should take every industry out of the market, nationalize every industry with no exception. That's to my left. I don't think that that's a worthy goal. I think it's a counterproductive goal and also, by the way, probably not one that's going to fit into the legal framework of any developed nation. So to me, the goal here is not let's just see how far left I can go with the things I suggest. It's what has actually been shown to work. And that's where I end up turning to social democracy. And in the socially democratic approach, you're looking to balance pragmatism and idealism. Social democracy is a system where the market economy coexists with a strong social safety net, progressive taxation. And what you want to do, what's the goal of social democracy? You want to ensure that innovation and personal initiative aren't stifled and are rewarded while at the same time making sure no one is left behind because of circumstances beyond their control. That's the progressivism that I'm a part of. So here's some examples. There's an entire chapter in my forthcoming book that I've been working on uh, laying out what is the target, what's the ideal. I don't want to make this cliche, so I'm going to give you a bunch of examples, but I'll start with Sweden. OK, Sweden has long been hailed as a paragon of social democracy. Now, I know there are people on the right who say, well, Sweden got good under capitalism and then instituted social democracy and then things got worse. The story is far more complex than that. It goes back over 100 years. But the whole point of Sweden is comprehensive welfare state, progressive taxation, commitment to health care for everybody, commitment to education for everybody, but also we fund those things through a dynamic economy that is competitive and fosters innovation. That's one example of what I want to see. We're not nationalizing every industry. We're not eliminating private property. I know you could go far, far to the left of Sweden, but I don't think that there's evidence that that's what we should be doing. Let me give you some other examples. And all of these examples are context dependent. Uruguay the country of Uruguay, the the little brother to Argentina, we might call it uh, under Jose Mujica, former president, showed that you can have socially democratic policies and compassionate leadership transform a country. You prioritize social programs, legalizing marijuana to combat drug trafficking, make investments in renewable energy that go through the market system show that you're committed to social justice and environmental sustainability while still fostering a reasonable business environment for people to innovate and to to make money for themselves. Another example, Germany's Social Democratic Party. There was a very interesting example there 
in the shaping of modern Germany, where they advocated for policies which had on the one hand economic growth as a goal and on the other hand, social welfare as a goal. And so you saw that economy develop while focusing on maintaining labor rights, making sure people have health care, reforming education in a way that contributes to Germany's reputation as we have a high quality, uh, a high quality of life. We also have a positive and, and inviting business environment. A different part of the world, Kerala or Kerala. Honestly, I don't know how it's pronounced. The Kerala state in India. Again, it's compared to what's going on in India, known for socially democratic principles, high human development indices, high literacy rate, high health care access. Again, this is all compared to other parts of India, a growing life expectancy and all done by investing in public services thanks to the fostering of a robust business environment. I also in my book talk about Portugal, but we'll skip that for now. So what's the point here? The point here is I believe social democracy is the goal. Social democracy emphasizes balancing a dynamic economy with social equity, with a path forward where no one gets left behind, but we still get the good things that come from entrepreneurship and business and so on and so forth. Now, if the goal among my audience is let's just go as far left as we can with some of those examples I said earlier, I'm not going in that direction. I don't think the goal of the left should be let's just see how far left we can push the envelope. Let's push it to where we actually have evidence it should be pushed, dismantling the entire capitalist structure with no clear, pragmatic alternative that is evidence based that we can point to and say, hey, this is what this is what we know works. That's not an interesting goal to me. So I want to be guided not by ideology and litmus tests and who's really on the left. I want to champion ideas that I can say to you, here is evidence that they work. And I want to hear where you are on this. The litmus test left doesn't seem to like where I point my North Star. Uh, but that's where it is. And I, I've hopefully explained to you why. Let me know your thoughts. Should I just be pushing left, left, left further indefinitely for the hell of it? Uh, do you have any evidence that that's the ideal end point or is my framework one that resonates more with you? I want to hear from you. Let me know. We are still learning the details of the death of Alexei Navalny. Alexei Navalny was 47 years old. He was in a Russian prison camp. And he was a foe of Vladimir Putin's. And I don't think it came as a surprise to anybody that he was found dead. Uh, we do not, of course, know the reality of the circumstances of this death. We are hoping to learn more about it. What we have from the Associated Press, Alexei Navalny's spokesperson confirmed the Russian opposition leader died at a remote Arctic penal colony, saying he was murdered, unclear where his body was as his family and friends search for answers. Now, there are gossip tabloid type articles saying the body's been found. It's covered in bruises. That stuff has not yet been verified by any media outlet that I would consider trustworthy. So I'm going to stop short of that. The last official statement is the whereabouts of the body are not clear. Um, we have a Reuters article which also explains what do we know? It tells us Navalny was at the IK three penal colony north of the Arctic Circle. His death was announced by the Federal Penitentiary Service uh, on February. They said on February 16, 
in penal colony number three, convict Navalny felt unwell after a walk, almost immediately losing consciousness. The medical staff arrived immediately. An ambulance was called. All necessary resuscitation measures were carried out, which did not give positive results. Doctors of the ambulance stated the death of the convict. The causes of death are being established. Uh, Navalny's 69 year old mother was given knowledge of the death and told the cause was sudden death syndrome. Now, I'm going to be super honest with you. Uh, this is extremely difficult to accept as some kind of accidental death or a death of natural causes. What uh, we don't know is, you know, he was unconscious shortly after a walk. We're talking about the Arctic Circle. When you look at the temperatures there, being unconscious after a walk could be he was put outside, became hypothermic and then fell unconscious and essentially froze to death. That's one possibility. Uh, could it be uh, physical trauma? Could it be poisoning? It could be all of these things. For me, the takeaway here is it is at a, a great peril for us to fall for Tucker Carlson's videos about how great the supermarkets are in Russia and how great the McDonald's clone is in Russia. We've seen these uh, attempts at rehabilitating the reputations of strongmen dictators. We've seen American journalists uh, or propagandists go to North Korea. Well, actually, less Americans in North Korea, but we've seen propagandists go to North Korea and to Venezuela and go to the supermarkets and go, look at all these great olive oils and look at all this great stuff. And it's so affordable and whatever. And lurking in the background is horrible, violent authoritarianism. And that's obviously some version of what we are seeing here in Russia. Now, do we yet have all of the details? Where is Navalny's body? Uh, we don't know what exactly is the real cause of death. We don't know how directly involved was Vladimir Putin. We just don't know. But to fall for the, you know, the supermarkets really aren't bad and the architecture is kind of cool sort of stuff that allows the rehabilitation or circumvention, at least of the brutality of these regimes. I believe that that's an extraordinarily dangerous direction to go. So horrible, horrible news about Alexei Navalny. Hard to be surprised. We will hopefully soon have more specific information here about what happened. So many people in our audience have become fans of our sponsor Ounce of Hope. Ounce of Hope is a cannabis farm that ships CBD and psychoactive THC products to your door. Anywhere in the US, this is federally legal. THCA, THC Delta 8 and 9, they have edibles. And now you can check out the brand new drink from Ounce of Hope for 2024, the Berry High 5 milligram THC seltzer. It's the only 16 ounce THC seltzer on the market. It's only five bucks, a price no one can beat. At their cannabis farm in Memphis, Ounce of Hope sustainably raises fish to feed local homeless people. I've always thought it's a really cool operation. Besides the delicious seltzer, they have gummies, chocolate, Rice Krispie treats, caramels, topicals, oils, soft gels, you name it. Ounce of Hope grows, extracts and formulates all of these world class products in house so that you can trust the safety and quality of every product that arrives at your door. So whether you're looking for a little help sleeping at night, something for aches and pains, a way to unwind on the weekend, Ounce of Hope can help you out if you are over 21. And right now you can pick up their very high five milligram THC seltzers for five bucks each at ounceofhope.com. No one can beat that price. And aside from their drinks, you'll get 20 percent off everything else when you use the code Pacman. 
That's ounceofhope.com. Pick up one of their THC seltzers for just five bucks. Use the code Pacman to get 20% off everything else. The info is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is BetterHelp. Uh, viewers of the show, listeners know I'm a big advocate of therapy. Uh, I think it's important to make it more accessible, remove any stigma that might be associated. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is therapy done entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. I'm a huge believer in talk therapy and BetterHelp is making it more accessible to more people. You can even find a therapist who specializes in certain areas, which maybe you can't find where you are geographically. There are lots of great benefits to doing therapy online. Get it off your chest. Visit BetterHelp. Go to BetterHelp.com slash Pacman show today to get 10% off your first month. That's better. H.E.L.P.com slash Pacman show. The link is in the podcast notes. For years, a big interest of mine has been tracking my family tree. It's always a little side project I have going on. The service I use is called My Heritage, which is why I asked them to become a sponsor. Trusted by over 90 million users, My Heritage makes building your family tree simple and fun. You get extremely powerful tools to research your family history and grow the tree. I quickly found new family members. I can add an entire branch to the tree in one click. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm showing some of my discoveries. It has really been fun to sit down with my parents and say, hey, do you remember hearing about this person? Do you remember hearing about that person? And there have been some really fascinating revelations like this immigration record from the U.S. Canada border crossing for my relative born in 1895. My heritage has an ocean of records at their disposal so they can automatically give you detailed info about family members, makes it super easy to find incredible things from your family's past. You can try my heritage totally free for 14 days. Go to davidpackmancom slash my heritage. During that two week free trial, there are a ton of amazing things you can find out about your family and where you come from. Go to davidpackmancom slash my heritage. The link is in the podcast notes. You really can't write this stuff. The FBI informant supposedly blowing the roof off of the Joe and Hunter Biden crimes conspiracy has himself been charged for lying about Joe and Hunter Biden's ties to the Ukrainian energy company Burisma, like pouring water on cotton candy and seeing it just evaporate before your very eyes. I know it's not evaporating uh, in a literal sense. This Biden crimes conspiracy stuff continues to just fall apart. The Associated Press reports an FBI informant has been charged with fabricating a multimillion dollar bribery scheme involving Joe Biden, his son Hunter and a Ukrainian energy company, a claim that is central to the Republican impeachment inquiry in Congress. They are referring to Alexander Smirnov, who falsely reported to the FBI back in 2020 that executives 
associated with the Ukrainian energy company Burisma paid Hunter and Joe Biden five million dollars each in 2015 or 2016. This is from the indictment of Smirnov. Smirnov told his handler that an executive claimed to have hired Hunter Biden to, quote, protect us through his dad from all kinds of problems. Prosecutors say Smirnov, in fact, had only routine business dealings with the company in 2017 and made the bribery allegations after he expressed bias against Joe Biden. He appeared briefly in court. He's 43 years old after being charged with making a false statement and creating a false and fictitious record. He did not enter a plea. And uh, ultimately, the judge ordered the courtroom cleared when the public defender asked for a closed hearing. Understand that the case was weaker than weak all along. And when Republicans would be asked on Fox News, well, what evidence do you have? They would go, well, we know about the payments, but we're just trying to figure out where is the crime and the details. Turns out the details of the payment were also completely fabricated. Now, if you want to see how committed and ideologically and morally vapid these Republicans are to this, I hate to call it a prosecution, this persecution of Joe Biden maybe is a better term. On NBC News over the weekend, after news of this, uh, these charges was le- was published. NBC's Kristen Welker asked Republican Congressman Mike Turner, "Listen, now that the informant has been charged and is accused of just making this stuff up criminally, are you going to back off of this whole Biden crimes thing?" And Mike Turner says, "No. Why would we do that?" The former FBI informant has been charged with lying about Joe and Hunter Biden seeking millions of dollars in bribes from a Ukrainian company, allegations that are really central to the Republicans' effort to impeach the president. Now, you voted to support this impeachment inquiry. Do you think it's responsible to continue this inquiry, given these charges against the FBI informant? Absolutely. I mean, this is, is this inquiry, and it is an inquiry, uh, is based upon actual bank records, documents, uh, transactions of money, large sums of money. Now, remember, that is it. It is true that they have records that Joe Biden has had money come into his accounts. There is no evidence of any kind linking it to Ukraine or to China. There's no evidence linking it to impropriety. There's no evidence linking it to crimes and there's no evidence linking it to any of the alleged wrongdoing by Hunter Biden. So when he says this is really based on bank records, it's sort of like if I'd show you showed you my credit card statement and it just shows I bought stuff, I got groceries, you know, I I got some books and then you go, listen, we're launching an investigation based on credit card records. Okay, yeah, you're launching it based on credit card records. The records just don't show any wrongdoing. That's where they are with this right now. Uh, and doing an inquiry as to uh, you know, how these funds got to the Biden family uh, from international sources, China, Russia, uh, Ukraine. Uh, th- that is certainly an issue that, that Congress needs to take up. And I think the investigation will continue. But uh, Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan said just a few weeks ago that the most corroborating evidence comes from this informant's allegations, and they are at the heart of the impeachment case. Even before that, Senator Senator Lindsey Graham said to me, there's no smoking gun. So can you justify continuing with this impeachment inquiry? Yes, absolutely. We can justify it. Trump needs us to do it. 
I think you have to continue until it reaches its natural conclusion. But I'm I'm not surprised at all that a um, a business associate and associate of the the Biden family might be untruthful. Uh, but we'll just have to continue to see what the bank records, the transactions tell, how that story unfolds. Yeah, they've had those records now for a very long time. It tells no story. And when he talks about a natural conclusion, the natural conclusion is Joe Biden's been in public office for decades. And we have found no evidence of wrongdoing by Joe Biden, no evidence of criminality by Joe Biden and no impeachable offenses committed by Joe Biden. These people are completely devoid of principle and the crumbling of their major blockbuster informant having no impact whatsoever on their commitment to this impeachment inquiry is the proof that we've been waiting for. And now we have it. Ted Cruz is jumping into the Joe Biden, Barack Obama conspiracy theories. I'm going to take this as an opportunity to remind you that Ted Cruz does have an opponent. His name is Colin Allred, and we have options in the state of Texas. Here is Ted Cruz appearing over the weekend in what is billed as an exclusive interview with Maria Bartiromo. Sometimes to me, it seems like when they call it an exclusive, what they mean is Ted Cruz hasn't said stuff this stupid on any other show this weekend, and therefore it is it is exclusive to our network. Here is Ted Cruz talking about who is really, quote, driving the train, an analogy to running the Biden White House. He says it could be Barack Obama. Housed in H.R. 2, it went nowhere in the Senate. Is that Mitch McConnell? Who's responsible? Sadly, it is. Look, it's Chuck Schumer, number one, and Chuck Schumer is it is helping drive the train. Listen, we know Joe Biden's not driving the train. So so it's a combination of left wing congressional Democrats and I think Barack Obama that are driving the train. And then Joe Obama, uh, Joe Biden is, is Joe Obama. I like that. Obama is Mr. Magoo just wandering around confused. There you go. What's happening at the White House is that Joe Obama. Sorry, no, uh, Biden is walking around confused like Mr. Magoo. And Barack Obama is actually the one that is in charge here. So we don't even if if that allegation rings true to you, peace and love go forth and multiply. If it doesn't, I just do want to remind you that there's a very good alternative to Ted Cruz in the state of Texas. In the most recent poll released about 10 days ago, Colin Allred is tied with Ted Cruz. Now, this is an outlier poll. Most of the polls say that Cruz is winning, but it is the only poll from February. It is the most recent poll at minimum. What the 44 to 44 polling tells us in that Texas Senate race is that Ted Cruz is beatable. It doesn't mean he will lose, but he is at least hypothetically beatable. This is not an impossible race. So if you're as disgusted with Ted Cruz as I am, but unlike me, you live and vote in the state of Texas. Colin Allred, there is an option here coming up in November. Major news over the weekend. Donald Trump has been fined three hundred and sixty four million dollars in total. This could be about a four hundred and fifty million dollar penalty for fraud in this incredible case out of New York. Trump wildly triggered by this, and we will talk about that. The New York Times reports Trump fraud trial penalty will exceed four hundred and fifty million dollars. There is talk of bankruptcy. And the reason why is that even billionaires don't typically keep this much cash around. 
The New York Times adds the ruling in Trump's civil fraud case could cost him all his available cash. The judge said that the former president's quote, complete lack of contrition bordered on pathological. The order here is three hundred and fifty five million dollars plus interest plus interest, as well as a two year ban on uh, uh, sorry, a three year ban for Trump on doing business in New York, a two year ban on Eric and Don Jr. from doing business in New York and a four million dollar fine for each of Trump's adult sons, Eric and Don Jr. This pushes the total believed penalty to four hundred fifty million dollars. So a couple different things here. How could a billionaire, multi-billionaire, be on the verge of bankruptcy over three hundred and fifty or four hundred and fifty million dollars? And the answer is he doesn't really seem to have that much cash. And in fact, when Trump needs cash, one of the tools he uses is the very tool for which he was he was found here to have engaged in fraud, which is to say, hey, I'd like a loan against my property, even though the assessor says the property is only worth 18 million. I believe it's worth one point five billion. Give me a loan. Eighty percent of that number rather than 80 percent of 18 million. So Trump's often used tool to get the cash that he needs is potentially not going to be available here. The uh, this is so damn funny. There's this influencer business dude named Grant Cardone. If you spend any time on TikTok or Instagram, you see Grant Cardone talking about how uh, he uh, cold calls and sells and he's just a great salesperson and all these different things. Turns out that he's a big time Trump suck up. And Grant Cardone's wife, in the immediate aftermath of this verdict, created a GoFundMe trying to raise three hundred and fifty million dollars for Donald Trump. I think so far they've raised like three hundred and fifty thousand or something like that. But here's the really funny thing. Uh, GoFundMe has a policy which says you can't raise money for legal penalties when someone has been adjudicated guilty or responsible. This is one of the things you're not allowed to use GoFundMe to do. And so as of this morning, the fundraiser was still up. It very clearly violates the rules of GoFundMe. I am hopeful that the Cardones will be extra humiliated by the entire thing being taken down. Trump's legal path to this. Now, this is this is for real. Trump's legal path is that he includes some fine print in his campaign fundraisers that says, you know, some portion of this could be used to pay off legal settlements. As long as he discloses it, even in the fine print, lawyers are saying that it would be legal to fundraise directly to pay this off. Whether Trump can do it, I don't know. Is bankruptcy really in Trump's future? We just don't know. After the break, I will show you the monumental triggering of the entire Trump family as a result of this delightful lawsuit. And remember, on this show, Everybody gets due process. Trump has had it. Okay. And so that's why we can now say this isn't about lock him up, lock her up for no real reason. Trump has been uh, found to have engaged in fraud. A judge has determined what the penalty should be. And now it's fine to say he got due process. And now it will be a very sweet thing to see Trump finally face some kind of consequence. If you're like me and I know so many of you are just like me, 
You hate the sticking and the rubbing that comes with traditional underwear. I'm sure most gentlemen in my audience know what I'm talking about. Our sponsor, Sheath Underwear, solves the problem. They have a patented ergonomic underwear design, separate compartments in the front. Everything stays dry, cool and comfortable with sheath. You do away with the chafing and the sweating. Everything can air out and breathe and be fresh. Large variety of designs, something for everyone. The air circulation in sheath underwear allows for a huge difference. And you've got to try it yourself to understand. I can tell you firsthand next level comfort down there. Sheath also now is offering super comfortable women's underwear as well as silky smooth base layer undershirts and bottoms for men. Sheath has world class customer service, super fast shipping over 20,000 five star reviews. Sheath is the perfect gift for the men and the women on your shopping list. Check it out at sheathunderwear.com slash Pacman and you'll get 20% off with the code Pacman. The link is down below. Many people have the goal of getting in shape in 2024. Our sponsor, PhD Weight Loss, will help you make it happen. PhD Weight Loss was founded by licensed and registered dietitian Dr. Ashley Lucas. It's not a crazy diet. It's not pills. It's not injections. It's an approach that I find very reasonable because PhD Weight Loss understands weight gain isn't your fault. It's not a personality flaw. You're not lacking willpower. It can be quite complicated, in fact. PhD weight loss focuses on behavioral change, nutrition education, and it takes an overarching sort of holistic approach to body and to habits. There are no severe calorie restrictions. There are no medications. There's no chronic, unsustainable exercise program. Their program is about healthy eating, customized meal plan, one on one coaching for a more personal experience. The founder, Dr. Lucas, is offering a free workshop just for my audience on February 29th at 3 p.m. Eastern, where you can learn more about PhD weight loss, why weight gain isn't your fault, evidence based approaches you can implement on your own right away to improve your health. Sign up for the free workshop at davidpackman.com slash PhD. They've helped over 7,500 people drop weight. You could be next. That's davidpackman.com slash PhD. The link is in the podcast notes. Failed former President Donald Trump, as we already discussed, was hit with a 350, 364 million, probably once it's all said and done with interest and penalties, $450 million fine for the fraud that he is and committed in the state of New York. Trump, wildly triggered by this, gave, I guess it's being called a statement, although it was really the rantings of a madman in Palm Beach, Florida, in the hours following this ruling. And I have to tell you, I'm finding myself enjoying this. I really am. And if I'm a bad person, please write to me. Tell me, David, you're a bad person for enjoying this. Here is Trump saying that this ruling is Russia and China. Everybody's seen it. Leticia James, they've all seen it. Well, we'll be appealing. But more important than that, this is Russia. This is China. This is the same game. All comes out of the DOJ. It all comes out of Biden. It's a witch hunt against his political opponent, the likes of which our country has never seen before. You see it in third world countries. Now, what's so, so funny about this is that when it comes to the way you know, Tr Trump brags and praises during speeches, 
in China, they have like a hundred percent conviction rate in Russia. They're quick trial and you get convicted and they're Putin and she are so strong and powerful. If it were true that what happened to Trump here, I mean, it's a civil fraud trial with due process and everything. Trump's got the best lawyers, right? If if it were true that what happened to Trump was like what happened in Russia and China, Trump praises it. Trump says he likes it. Trump says he wishes the United States were more like that. Now, it just so happens that that's not at all what happened here. But the absurdity of Trump actually praising the way Russia and China do things when someone else is suffering and then saying now they did the same thing to me. It's pathetic. Trump says New York will be gone if his appeal isn't successful because everybody will leave New York. Somehow I think New York will be OK. And they want me out. Oh, let's see if we can get them out. These are radical left Democrats. They're lunatics and it's election interfering. So I just want to thank you for being here. Uh, will appeal will be successful, I think, because frankly, if we're not successful, New York State is gone. People are moving out of New York State. And because of this, they're going to move out at a much faster rate. Right. If Trump is forced to pay a fine for the fraud he committed, New York is over. In reality, I think most of New York is probably rooting for the appeal to fail. Trump is not very popular in New York. Trump then says he's paid taxes like no one else has ever paid them in New York. I think very importantly, and I think ultimately the most important, we've employed tens of thousands of people in New York and we paid taxes like few other people have ever paid in New York. No one has ever paid taxes as well as Trump has paid. And then finally, Trump here claiming that those who he supposedly defrauded, the banks, are happy with Trump and they testified beautifully. So I just want to say this. You build a great company. There was no fraud. The banks all got their money 100 percent. They love Trump. They testified that Trump is great, great customer one of our best customers. They testified beautifully and the judge knows that he's just a corrupt person. So Trump, as usual, the height of victimhood. Everybody has been so unfair. He did nothing wrong. Everybody else did everything wrong. And he is just being persecuted because he's the leading political candidate. You know how upset Trump is by how wide the accordion hands are when he does this stuff. And uh, during this speech, the 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 accordion hands went very, very wide, wide, as you can see here on your screen. So Donald Trump wildly triggered by this finding, by this verdict. Let's now figure out uh, how Eric Trump reacted uh, after the three hundred and sixty four million, four hundred and fifty million all in. We're talking a lot of money here. A uh, verdict was given in the Donald Trump New York fraud trial. Eric Trump went on TV on Fox News and he is just out of his mind furious about what's going on here. As usual, Eric Trump basically following the lead of his father, arguing that this is all politically weaponized. This is just them going after Trump because Trump's so dangerous and he's so popular and it's so obvious that he's going to win. Here is a wildly triggered Eric Trump. This is the state of New York. I caution anybody. I caution anybody even thinking about moving to New York to just be careful. This is not the state that my father grew up in. This is not the state that we grew up in. It, it, this is the demise of a politically weaponized system. And it's, it's horribly <laughs> sad, Gene. And, and I promise you we're going to fight this. And 
We're going to win at the appellate division because honestly, it's so egregious. It's so egregious. I promise you we're going to get it overturned. Yeah, uh, these uh, they also promised they weren't going to have to pay a fine uh, in, in this in initial trial. So I would take with a grain of salt Eric's guarantees. But this guy is furious. And once again, framing himself and his brother, Don Jr., he says that uh, they did. They're completely innocent. They did nothing wrong. And as to Don and I, we every single witness testified. We have nothing to do with this. They went in witness after witness. This is not what they did in the company. It didn't matter. This guy, you know, we were trophies on a wall for this guy. Again, pushing the idea that Engoron, Engoron just wanted to pin these kids. They're in their 40s to the wall. Um, and then lastly, no Eric Trump interview defending his father is complete until you've seen egomaniac, narcissistic delusions like my father built the New York City skyline to a city. My father built the skyline of New York City. And <laughs> so uh, egomaniacal narcissism on full display, victimhood as the number one reflexive action anytime something like this goes on. And we will now see what happens. We will. I, I, I'm right there with you. I want to see what happens with the appeal. My instinct is it may not be successful. Eric Trump on fire. He's being treated. He's just a kid. He's just a kid, guys. He's being treated so unfairly. Let's hope that the four hundred and fifty million is paid. Could be the end of Donald Trump. Donald Trump insists that he doesn't have dementia at the same speech at which he tells the crowd to vote on the wrong date and otherwise sounds and looks absolutely terrible. This is a speech Trump gave in Waterford Township, Michigan over the weekend. This was after getting booed almost off the stage at SneakerCon, which I will get to in a moment. This is after a multi hundred million dollar verdict against Trump for fraud in New York. Here is Trump once again arguing it's definitely not dementia when I get confused about who is president. Barack Hussein, remember Rush? He used to shout Barack Hussein Obama. And I'll say, because he's a lot of people think he's still the president. A lot of people think he's really running Biden. He's got a lot of his people in there. So I'll say, you're president Barack Hussein Obama. And they'll say the next day, Donald Trump didn't know who the president of our country is. He thought it was Barack Hussein. He regularly gets wrong the leaders of other countries. He regularly gets wrong the president of this country and then Trump getting the election day wrong. This is maybe the funniest moment of Trump's Waterford Township, Michigan speech. He fires everybody up, tells them all the reasons why they need to vote for him and then tells them to vote almost in December. <laughs> this is just the best. We need you to get out and vote to set the stage for November. Right. Go vote. November 27th. There you go. Go and vote on November 27th. Now, it's, of course, completely unclear what Trump was talking about. The Michigan primary is uh, in February, not in November. The general election is at the beginning of November, not November 27th. But listen, I'm not going to get in the way of this. As I've said before, I don't believe in winning elections by confusing your adversaries as to when the election day is. I don't believe in doing that. 
But if they're doing it, by all means, I mean, listen, Trump's telling Michigan Republicans, wait until November 27th to vote. Wait until November 27th to vote. I'm not going to get in the way of that. Donald Trump continuing to shoot himself in the foot. Ballistic podiatry, I think, was the term that Ron DeSantis used, saying mail in voting is corrupt. corrupt. Mail in voting is totally corrupt. Get that through your head. It has to be. Don't do it. Listen again. I am not one who is going to try to win elections. I don't believe that the way the left should win is by lying to people about when Election Day is and lying to people that if they vote by mail, their vote isn't going to be counted. I don't believe either of those things are good moral strategy. It's not the high road. But once again, if Trump is telling his followers don't vote by mail, and so some of them either due to work schedules or medical conditions or being out of state, won't be able to vote in person and therefore they won't vote at all. Thanks to Trump, by all means, go ahead and tell him that I won't get in the way. And Trump really is damaging himself here because at this point, mail in voting and voting absentee is such a normal part of elections in the vast majority of states. If you're telling your followers, don't participate in that, don't use that as a mechanism for voting. And Democrats have no problem doing it because obviously there is no problem with it. He's hurting himself and himself alone. And I absolutely love it. Here is Trump saying that they call him a whale. A whale. They call me a whale. I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know if they meant a whale from the standpoint of being a little heavy or a whale because I got a lot of money. But I think they meant the second. But he's a whale of a client. We love him. He's a whale of a client. One of the strongest personal balance sheets that they've ever seen. And he was actually very overqualified for the loan. I didn't even need this loan. All right. So Trump arguing, of course, that everything he did with the fraud he committed, for which he has been fined hundreds of millions, was completely fine and on the up and up. And then lastly, another classic Trump glitch. Trump seems to think that the word indicted is an N word. Of course, indicted has an N sound at the beginning, but the first letter in indicted is I Trump glitching once again. But they think they are. They think that. Uh, but a lot of them come to me and they'll say, how do you do it? You go through all these subpoenas. You got indicted. Now, in my whole life, I didn't know what the N word. I didn't know what indictment meant. You got <laughs> indicted. <laughs> I didn't know what the N word was growing up. Somehow I find that a little bit difficult to believe. So Trump confused and disoriented at Waterford Township, Michigan, telling voters to vote long after the election will be over. And uh, as I've said before, if they want to say this stuff, by all means, have at it. Not the way I think the left should win elections by lying to voters, confusing them, all this sort of thing. But if Trump's doing it to his own people, by all means, I'm not going to get in the way. After the break, Trump at sneaker con almost getting booed off the stage, really ugly, wild stuff. And then we're going to hear from Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley now says, she would pardon Trump if she were president. And so once again, oh, she's more sane. She is more sane. Oh, she's morally more principled. She's more morally principled. But when it comes down to it, she'll pardon Trump just like the rest of them. Let's take a very quick break and be right back. When you log into your Google or Facebook account, these companies have your IP address, which is valuable to them because when you do all of your other browsing online, almost every site on the web 
is sending your IP address and browsing activity back to those big tech companies so they know what you do across the Internet. The only solution is to hide your IP address while you're online using a VPN. I use private Internet access, the only VPN that is proven multiple times in court. They do not log your activity. Private Internet access is optimized for streaming and for large downloads. You can access content on streaming platforms like Netflix. That's normally only available in other countries. Private Internet access now has 91 country servers to pick from and new dedicated IP locations. It also comes with their built in ad and malware blocker called Mace, which blocks virtually all pop ups. Private Internet access is giving my audience 83 percent off comes out to two oh three a month plus four extra months for free. Go to piavpn.com slash David. The link is in the podcast notes. If you've been thinking about getting a new mattress, Helix Sleep is where I would start. I've been sleeping on Helix mattresses for years now. I recommend Helix to everyone, which is why I wanted them as a sponsor. If you don't want to take my word for it, Helix has been awarded number one mattress by both GQ and Wired magazine. And one of the things that makes Helix unique is their sleep quiz. I didn't really know what kind of mattress would be best for me, but you do this short sleep quiz. You answer questions about your body type and your preferences, what position you like to sleep in. And Helix will match you with the perfect mattress for you. So, you know, you're actually getting something tailored to your needs instead of going in blind like most people do. I got my Helix mattress designed to stay cool at night since I hate getting hot while I sleep. Shipping is always free. You get 100 nights to decide whether you like it. My audience gets a huge 20 percent discount off of all orders, plus two free pillows. Go to helixsleep.com slash Pacman and enter code helixpartner20 at checkout. That's helixsleep.com slash Pacman. Then use code helixpartner20 to get 20 percent off and two free pillows. The info is in the podcast notes. In a completely humiliating moment over the weekend in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the failed former president Donald Trump was almost booed off of the stage while trying to hawk new $400 sneakers to sneaker con. This is almost tough to watch, but it's actually pretty fun. Here is Trump taking the stage to promote his sneakers, Trump shoes, Trump sneakers. And he was almost unable to continue and ended up speaking a very short amount of time. Listen to this. Wow. A lot of emotion. There's a lot of emotion in this room. Thank you. Thank you. So, so the really nice thing is we have lines and I want to thank Chase and I want to thank Alan. <laughs> I don't know who thought Trump sneakers were a good idea. But really, it was just negative energy towards Trump. Here's a video taken from the uh, from the crowd and everybody's just chanting, let's go Biden. That's that's what Trump was welcome to. All right. So Trump is trying essentially to sell gold sneakers, gold colored, gold plated, gold painted sneakers. I don't even know what to call it through a nonsense website. And then it gets even worse once things die down a little bit. Now, I'm not going to I don't want to exaggerate here. This is really scary. 
a woman gets up on the stage and is completely hysterical. If kids are watching with you right now, I'm, I might not show this to them because this woman's so dysregulated and so, as we might say, out of her gourd, uh, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs or, you know, uh, the the hamster, the hamster wheel spinning, but the hamster is dead. I don't know what analogy you want to use here. This could actually scare kids. OK, so I'm just giving enough lead up that you can pause this or get the kids out of the room. Somehow this woman ends up on the stage. She's not happy at how Trump is getting booed. I would posit to you that this is the real Trump derangement syndrome. I mean, just a complete bedlam. The crowd is all booing. This woman saying vote Trump. Trump's trying to sell four hundred dollars sneakers. And then Trump pointing off the stage and suggesting that's that's probably enough. Uh, This is the real Trump derangement syndrome. Okay, that is. And when we talk about mild, moderate or severe mental illness, the crisis in this country, the way in which people who are unwell, I don't know how else to say it, guys, people who are unwell get sucked in by con men. This is not that different than Jim Jones or David Koresh or fill in the blank, right? Charles Manson. You have vulnerable people with untreated, often undiagnosed mental illness who are just looking who who can I who's going to suck me in, take all my money, so on and so forth. That's the real Trump derangement syndrome. And uh, it's the faithful. It's those true believers that are really the deranged ones, scary and sad. All right, listen, I've been on the Nikki Haley is less crazy than these other Republicans bandwagon. I think Chris Christie was the least crazy of those running for president on the Republican side, followed by Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley, I think, makes some good points that Trump has been a disaster for the Republican Party. Check. She's right that Donald Trump has clearly declined over the last seven years. Check. She's absolutely correct. But There are some ways in which when the rubber meets the road, when the you know what hits the fan, when we get down to brass tacks, when it's time to separate the wheat from the chaff. All right, I won't go on when it really gets down to it. Nikki Haley is just like the rest of them. And this came up in a town hall event over the weekend on Fox News. This was in South Carolina. This coming Saturday is the Republican primary in South Carolina. Nikki Haley was asked by a gentleman in the crowd eh, by a man. I don't know if he's a gentleman by a man in the crowd. Will you pardon Donald Trump if he's convicted and you are president? And she says, yes, I will. Thank you very much. Hi, John. Governor Haley, if you were elected president, would you pardon Donald Trump if he was convicted of a crime in federal court? 
Well, thank you for that question. You know, if you're talking about pardoning Trump, it's not a matter of innocence or guilt at that point. Because it kind of should be, actually. That means he would have already been found guilty. I believe in the best interest of bringing the country together, I would pardon Donald Trump okay. because I think it's important for the country to move on. We've got to leave the negativity and the baggage behind. I don't want this country divided any further. I don't think it's in the best interest for America to have an 80-year-old president sitting in jail and having everybody upset about it. I think this would be the time that we would need to move forward and get this out of the way. So listen, there, oh, and hold on. Some light applause. Uh, first question, on what grounds would she be pardoning Trump in this scenario? She says because it's divisive for the country and it's not good for an 80 year old to be in prison. Well, first of all, should all 80 year olds be released from prison? I, I, why does Trump get special treatment? Well, because he's a former president. Oh, so you're admitting that it's a two tier justice system. Other 80 year olds can sit and rot in prison, but not Donald Trump. If that is the standard that is being applied, that is a very different standard than what should be applied when we're considering pardons. Was justice applied incorrectly? Was it misapplied? Because that's really the question if we're talking about pardons. Now, on a practical level, fortunately, so far, there may be more Trump trials, but of the four so far, two are state trials, New York and Georgia. The New York case is the weakest of all of them. So hopefully, even if the New York case goes nowhere and Nikki Haley would pardon Trump on the two federal, we still have the Georgia case. That's a practical question. But this is just a reminder that Nikki Haley is fundamentally not a serious person running a serious campaign because this is a terrible idea. And I've spoken about this before. Uh, we have seen this previously with Richard Nixon. The difference being Nixon was not convicted. Um, what is important to talk about here is that if you pardon a former president because they are a former president, because that's what Nikki Haley is talking about, you are undermining the rule of law. If you actually believe, as they say they do, that the rule of law is a fundamental principle that holds everyone, everyone accountable to say that we will pardon a former president because they're a former president undermines the principle of the rule of law. Quite literally, you're saying some people aren't subject to the rule of law. Some people aren't subject to the consequences. And that puts into question the integrity of the system. It also erodes public trust, public trust that government institutions will be run by those who run them appropriately. And if a president pardons a predecessor for criminal convictions, it sends the message to the public of corruption and of favoritism, and it erodes trust in the fairness and impartiality, not only of the justice system, but also broader government, which we certainly don't need to see trust eroded any further. It also opens the door as a precedent for future misconduct, because you're essentially saying once you become president of the United States, if you become president of the United States, you can do whatever you want. Yes, they might investigate you. Yes, they might indict you. Yes, they might convict you. Yes, they might put you in prison. But then subsequent presidents will give you a get out of jail free card. You are essentially opening the door to just saying you can do whatever the hell you want. Engage in illegal activity because there will now be an expectation that your political allies, if given the opportunity, 
are going to uh, get you out of prison and, and to pardon you. It also would be humiliating to the United States internationally to start having this reputation. You know, it for better or worse, the international community pays attention to what happens in the United States. And if you pardon a former president convicted of crimes for obviously political reasons, because she's a Republican, that's why she would be doing it. Uh, you damage the country's reputation. You damage the belief that the country upholds democratic values and the rule of law. So I think that this is absolutely the wrong approach. I'm disgusted with Nikki Haley. I was hoping that this was not something that Nikki Haley would do. Honestly, I would have even appreciated a cop out, which is something like, how could I? I think Chris Christie actually did something along the lines of if I'm going to consider a pardon, I need to see if justice was misapplied. There's been no resolution. There's been no adjudication. So how could I possibly tell you whether I would consider pardoning Donald Trump or whether I would pardon Donald Trump? I would have rather a cop out from Nikki, because remember, at the end of the day, she's not going to be president anyway unless Trump dies and somehow she manages to win this election. But I would have rather see a cop out than the answer she gave. But at the end of the day, she's just like the rest of them. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. Once again, a caller is attacking me because I didn't criticize stories that broke over the weekend. Take a listen to this. Mr. Packman. Yes. I know that you always use the cop out that your show is an opinion show and not a news show. But I find it highly remarkable that you actually had no opinion about the real estate civil fraud rule judgment against Trump on Friday. And also that you had no opinion about uh, the abrupt uh, demise of Alexei Navalny in one of the worst uh, gulag style so Russian Russian prisons. Uh, and a lot of people are, are speculating in the absence of an independent autopsy that Putin probably had something to do with uh, Mr. Navalny's uh, sudden demise. I agree. The show on Friday, I found it to be highly irrelevant. There you go. Well, listen, uh, as I've said before, it is not that I have no opinion on those issues. We don't do shows over the weekend. And those stories broke after we were done producing the Friday show. So, it, you know, you got me. I took Saturday and Sunday off. You got me. But uh, please, both of those stories are on today's show. We've heard this so many times before. I'm not. And by the way, why would I shy away? from commenting on those stories. I just don't. It doesn't even pass the sniff test. So we just have weekends off. The team gets weekends off. It doesn't seem right to me to force others or try to force others to work seven days a week. I don't think it makes sense uh, for me to be doing it either. Breaks are good. We got to the stories first thing on Monday. All right. On today's bonus show, we are going to talk about the truckers for Trump boycott of driving to New York City after the fraud ruling, they'll probably just get fired. It seems pretty stupid. We will talk about automated speed cameras getting another look as traffic deaths are mounting 
This is something we've talked about before. I look forward to talking about it again. Those those speed cameras that you see sometimes on the side of the road that can send you a ticket. And Joe Manchin announces he will not run for president after sort of toying with it back and forth one way or the other. Manchin says he won't run, putting an end to the speculation. I don't know that he was ever really going to run. He just really seemed to want attention. But we will talk about why this is maybe more relevant than you might think. All of those stories when producer Pat joins me on the bonus show, Oh, the bonus show where you want to make money, but everybody else that makes money to fund themselves is bad. Sign up at joinpacman.com. You can use the coupon code save democracy 24 to save bigly off of the cost of a membership. I will see you then and we'll be back with a new show tomorrow. By the way, great guests this week. I won't even say who's going to be on this week, but it's going to be good. We'll see you on the bonus show and I'll be back here tomorrow. Thank you.